0: Our second reading this morning is from Acts chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 6 through 26. So hear the word of God. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of people was all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us, and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man, Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that the field was called, in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who has who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You Lord know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own, to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, And the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Last Sunday, uh, we ended the late service with uh, a familiar 19th century hymn, uh, called Weave a Story to Tell to the Nations. It's a hymn about mission and about evangelism and about witnessing. It's a And the last verse of that hymn says, We have a Savior to show to the nations, who the path of sorrow hath trod, that all the world's great people might come to the truth of God, might come to the truth of God. So what is this truth of God? What is the story that only the church of Jesus Christ can tell? What are we bearing witness to? What is the good news? What is the gospel? Believe it or not, there's quite a bit of confusion about this very basic question in the church at large. I had a seminary professor who began his course with a quick in-class assignment to write out the gospel in one paragraph. Now, you would think that this would be a very easy assignment for people who were preparing to be pastors, for people who are committed to spending their whole lives telling God's story to the nation. But it turned out to be a rather challenging assignment. And when we read out our paragraphs to the class, it was amazing what a diversity of ideas there were about the basic Christian message. Broadly speaking, those different opinions about the simple gospel fell into two categories. One category emphasized what we might call the vertical dimension of the gospel, and the other emphasized what we might call the horizontal dimension of the gospel. The vertical dimension of the gospel is what the scriptures say about our relationship with God and about the life of To come. That part of the gospel talks about the atoning death of Jesus. About salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. About the future resurrection and life after death. And about the final judgment of all people. And about heaven and hell. That's the vertical dimension of the gospel. The horizontal dimension of the gospel is what the gospel says about our relationships with other people during this life. It's about how we should live before we die. That's the part of the gospel that talks about the golden rule and giving freely to the needy and not judging one another. Scripture talks at length about both of these aspects of the gospel, the vertical and the horizontal. But typically, individual Christians and churches will pick one or the other and focus on that one to the exclusion of the other. And that's a mistake. If we have a vertical gospel without a horizontal gospel, or if we have a horizontal gospel without a vertical gospel, then we have only half of a gospel. What I want to talk about this morning is the whole gospel. Or perhaps I should say, what I want to talk about this morning is the gospel as a whole. What I'd like to do is have a step back and look at the gospel holistically, the gospel both in its vertical and its horizontal elements. Let's see how they hang together. So let's begin with the horizontal gospel. Let's begin with Christ's teaching about how we should live this life with each other and how we're supposed to treat each other. Jesus had a lot to say about how we are to treat one another and probably the longest A discourse on those kinds of things is the Sermon on the Mount, which we find in Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7. On violence and anger, Jesus says, You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. On sexual lust, Jesus says, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. On divorce, Jesus says, it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. On oaths and truth-telling, Jesus says, Again you heard it said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. On vengeance and retaliation, Jesus says... You have heard it said that, you have heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also your other. If anyone should sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. On charity and generosity, Jesus says, Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. On love and hatred, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. On judging other people, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And Jesus then concludes with the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now all of these passages are familiar to you. Even secular people know these sayings by Jesus. And all of this teaching is about how we should treat other people in this life. It's about the horizontal aspect of the gospel. The Sermon on the Mount is the heart of Christian moral and ethical teaching. You might think of it as an updated Ten Commandments. And I hope you noticed that those passages where Jesus quotes the Old Testament, he actually ups the ante. He says that you have to do even better than what the old law required. The old law says don't murder, but Jesus says... Don't even get angry and call someone a fool. The old law says don't commit adultery, but Jesus says don't even have lustful intent towards someone you're not married to. This horizontal aspect of the gospel is all about how we live this life on earth. It's about human action, human behavior, human will. The horizontal aspect of the gospel is an ethical code of conduct. It's a law to live by. Now imagine how wonderful it would be if people lived this way. Vengeance and violence and adultery would be gone. Honesty and generosity would rule the day. The horizontal aspect of the gospel is similar to other philosophical non-Christian ethical systems like Buddhism and Taoism. Those are systems of thought that encourage people to live their lives a certain way with the overall goal being that life would be sweeter and more pleasant on earth. These are systems of thought that are all about doing good in this life with the goal of making life better for everyone. That's one aspect of the gospel, the horizontal aspect. And there are some Christians and some churches that are very much focused on this horizontal aspect of the gospel, very much focused on promoting moral and ethical, the moral and ethical code that results in a more peaceful, just, and loving society. But the horizontal aspect of the gospel is only half of the gospel. There is also the vertical aspect. And that part of the gospel is not so much about this life, but about the life that's going to come. That part of the gospel is supernatural. That part of the gospel is beyond human reason. The vertical part of the gospel only comes through God's self-revelation and can only be received with God-given faith. The horizontal aspect of the gospel can rely on human reason and human affection and human will. We don't have to believe in God to acknowledge the ethical parts of Christianity. Many atheists embrace the golden rule, the call to honesty and generosity, the need to forego judgment and revenge. Plenty of atheists think that Jesus was a good moral teacher and that people should imitate him. The horizontal aspect of the gospel can be embraced based on human reason alone. But the vertical aspect of the gospel is distinctly otherworldly. It's absolutely supernatural. It's actually rather strange. The vertical aspect of the gospel is about what God did so that sinners can spend an eternity with God. Now, what is a sinner? A sinner is any person who does not live according to the rules of the Sermon on the Mount as I was reading those passages from the Sermon on the Mount, if you said to yourselves, whoops, I haven't been doing that, then you're a sinner. For all those people who do not first take the log out of their own eye, for all of those who give in to anger or to lust, for all of those who do not love their enemies, who do not give generously to everyone who asks, for all of those people, and that definitely includes me, The vertical aspect of the gospel is something we need to hear because it's what deals with our sin. In our reading from the Acts of the Apostles this morning, we have the story of the choosing of a replacement for Judas Iscariot, the apostle who betrayed Jesus. Here are the instructions that Peter gave to the other apostles about choosing this replacement. One of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Now what I want you to notice here is that last phrase. Leave it up there. One of these men must become with us a witness... To his resurrection. In that little phrase, Peter is defining the role of an apostle. And of course, the role of the apostle is to be the authoritative teacher for the church, to be the one who carries the essential message of the gospel. I began this sermon by asking four questions. What is the story that only the church of Jesus Christ can tell? What is it that we are witnesses to? What is the good news? What is the gospel? And Peter answers those questions with two words. His resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is the only story that the church of Jesus Christ can tell. Jesus' resurrection is what we bear witness to. Jesus' resurrection is the good news. It is the gospel. It's the vertical gospel. It's the supernatural gospel. Notice what Peter doesn't say. Peter doesn't say that the new apostle must have memorized the Sermon on the Mount. Peter doesn't say that the new apostle must have mastered the ethical rules that Jesus lays down. What he says is that to be an apostle is to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And let me just say that that's the tip of a very large iceberg. Why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? Why is it the first thing that should be on the lips of the apostles? And by the way, as we work our way through the Acts of the Apostles, you will see again and again, there are ten sermons in the Acts of the Apostles, and you'll see again and again that the sermons begin with the supernatural fact that Jesus, whom we killed, has been raised from the dead. Why is the resurrection so important? Why is it the first thing that should be on the lips of the apostles? Well, because without the resurrection, none of us will ever see God. Without the resurrection, none of us will ever see God. After his resurrection, but before he ascended into heaven, Jesus explained what his death and resurrection really meant. Up to that time, the apostles didn't really know. They didn't understand. In fact, you know, these disciples who were hanging around with Jesus were completely taken by surprise when Jesus was crucified. And they certainly didn't expect him to be raised from the dead afterward. It wasn't what they had anticipated. But here's what we read uh, almost at the very end of the Gospel of Luke. Then he opened their minds. This is Jesus. Then Jesus opened their minds. Remember, Jesus has been with these guys for three years. But now after all of this, then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out for us God's expectations about how we should live our lives. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus proclaims the law of God. Anyone with an ounce of self-awareness or honesty knows that they haven't lived the way Jesus said that we should live. And so everyone with an ounce of honesty or self-awareness should know that they're a sinner. The question is, what are we going to do about this sin? If you admire the Sermon on the Mount and are working really hard to live like a Sermon on the Mount Christian, the only thing you will accomplish is discovering how much of a failure you are. Even more than the law of Moses, the law of Jesus becomes for us a standard that we fail to live up to again and again and again. If I hate my brother, I'm a murderer? If I lust after a woman, I've committed adultery? You really want me to give money to everyone who asks? You expect me to love my enemy? Have you met my enemies? Is that really what you're saying, Jesus? The only thing that the Sermon on the Mount can bring us is condemnation. Because none of us are living up to that standard. Now, God's law has several purposes. But the most important purpose of God's law is to reveal to us how desperately we need a Savior. Because we cannot meet God's demands, we cannot save ourselves. And so there's only one recourse, and that's to throw ourselves at God's mercy. And the place that we find that mercy is in the cross of Christ. Because scripture makes it clear that God hates sin. And because scripture makes it clear that God demands payment for sin. And because scripture makes it clear that God loved us enough that he was willing to pay for our sins by the death of his own son. because of that, we're called to turn to Christ. Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. Jesus lived according to the law that's contained in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus fulfills that law. But Jesus also freely chooses to bear the penalty for our sin. The Bible teaches that we can receive full forgiveness of our sins by faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that by repenting of our sins and turning to Christ, we receive a pardon for everything we've ever done wrong. And with sin out of the way, our relationship with the Father is restored. Jesus called it being born again. The old man, the sinful man dies, and a new man, a new creation in Christ, somehow pops into being. And it is this new creation that allows us to enjoy fellowship with God in this life. And to look forward to eternal fellowship with God in the life that's to come. That's the good news. That's the vertical aspect of the gospel. The horizontal aspect of the gospel, God's revelation about how we should be living with each other. The horizontal aspect of the gospel is the law which reveals to us our desperate need for God's grace. And that grace is found in the vertical aspect of the gospel. Which is why we should never be content with just half of a gospel. Because half of a gospel won't save us. The horizontal aspect of the gospel, the ethical teaching of Jesus, sets the stage for the vertical aspect of the gospel, the supernatural news about the cross and the atonement and the resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. But the horizontal aspect of the gospel is not complete in itself. Meditating on Jesus' instructions about how to live a good life will only lead to despair when we realize that we're failing. The horizontal aspect of the gospel only finds its fulfillment in the vertical aspect. Now it is true that some Christians and some churches which emphasize the vertical aspect of the gospel, entirely ignore the horizontal aspect. Some Christians seem to be only concerned about getting to heaven, and they don't seem to care very much about what Jesus said about how we should be living here on earth. So let me make just one little point about how the vertical aspect of the gospel comes back around and bears fruit in the horizontal aspect. One little point about how grabbing hold of the supernatural transformation that happens by being converted, by being born again, bears fruit in how we live in this world, how we treat other people during this life. Now I'm going to cheat a little by jumping ahead in Acts, but listen to this little description of life in the church from Acts chapter 4. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. For there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now there were two sentences there. And you may have noticed that the first sentence was about the vertical aspect of the gospel. The first sentence was about bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's about the apostles doing what the apostles are supposed to do, about telling the supernatural News of the cross of Christ and what it can do for us. It's about the converting message of the church, the message that turns pagans into Christians. That's the first sentence. But then notice immediately right next to it, that second sentence. This second sentence is all about the horizontal aspect of the gospel. It's about living generously here in this world so that there are no needy people. I believe with all of my heart that fulfilling the horizontal aspect of the gospel, that living the way that Jesus told us to live in the Sermon on the Mount, I believe that that is the direct result of having had a real and living encounter with the vertical gospel. I believe in my heart that when we know the grace of God forgiving us, then we are able to turn and forgive others. I believe with all of my heart that when we enter into a genuine relationship with the creator of the universe that we become generous because we know that God's going to take care of us and so we're not worried about hoarding what we have. I believe with all of my heart that being born again begins a transformation in us that makes us live and think and act more like Christ every day. And when we do that This world will be a little sweeter and a little kinder and a little more peaceful than it was before. But it all begins by turning to Christ, by recognizing that we are deeply sinful and we are without hope unless our sins are forgiven by Christ. Let the law of God, let the Sermon on the Mount show you how far you fall short of the mark. And then let the Holy Spirit convince you of your need for God's grace and forgiveness. And then throw yourself on Christ's mercy and receive a full pardon for your sin. And if you do that, you will be born again. And that's a supernatural thing. It's something that God does to you. It's not the result of your hard work or effort or will. It's not the result of your reason. It's God's free gift. And when you receive that free gift, see if you don't start acting more and more like Jesus. It'll happen. Some of us are holding on to just half of the gospel. I want to encourage you to grab the whole thing. Let it be good news for you and for those who are around you. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, you made us and you love us and you sent your son into this world to teach us what the good life looks like. And you sent your son into this world to model that perfectly good life. And you sent your son into this world to die for us because we haven't been living that good life. Lord God, we pray today by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give us the faith to believe in the atoning work of Jesus and in his resurrection. We pray that you give us the faith to believe that our sins are forgiven because Christ died on the cross. We pray that you give us the faith to be born again. And having been born again, we pray that you would equip us to live more graciously and peacefully and lovingly in this world. We pray that you would change us little by little every day to look more and more like Christ. God, we recognize that we are not saved by our own efforts, but we're saved by the work of Christ, the completed work of Christ. But it is our desire that we might live the way that you would have us live, to bring you honor and glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.